0: Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Should we start like that? Oh! <laughs> don't do it, don't do it. Okay. All right, so Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Alhamdulillah. Was-salatu was, mm, salatu ala Um. So, we're starting off on an endeavor, number one, for those who don't know me. Uh, my name is Ben Yusuf. And uh, we're starting off on an endeavor today that's an endeavor that's very dear to me. Um... I've been coming back and forth. Uh, well, let me give you a little history about myself. Um, so I'm second generation Muslim. My mother and father became Muslim just as I was being born, like literally about a year before being born. And uh, so uh, for those who know how things go with Islam in America, of course, by them being first generation Muslims, they didn't get a chance to study a lot as far as things like Arabic and things like that. Um, and so... We, the second generation, we got a little more, but it was in English. So, you know, we read the Quran every day, every morning. Read Sahih Bukhari every morning, uh, Sunan Abu Dawood, things like that, every morning from Fajr. Uh, after we pray Fajr, we had to sit down and read for like twenty minutes, half an hour. But the whole idea was always that we, each generation, had to take it up a notch. So, um, I'm saying all that to say that uh, at about twenty-three years old, I was—I remember it very clearly. I was uh, in Ramadan and um, I was in the masjid, but it was a masjid. It's called Masjid al jamiah for those who know it. And it's a masjid that all the students from all across the Arab world that are going to the universities in the area, they come and they pray in that masjid. And they seem like normal guys usually. huh? We talk to them in English. They talk to us in English. Really normal guys. And we talk normal. But on, it was during Ramadan. And I remember I came for the Hajj in the middle of the night. And some of those young guys were there and we were in Salah and we were praying. And I don't know what the imam was reciting because we don't know Arabic that well. And so at 23 years old, I'm standing there in Salah and the imam is reciting something. And I can tell that the imam's voice is starting to change. And then all of a sudden, I can tell the people that's around me, they're starting to cry. And I'm like, yo, what's going on? Because I never, literally, never even dawned on me because these guys talk English to us all the time. It never even dawned on me that not only did they know Arabic, but they understood what was being said. Because with us, what if you didn't, if it wasn't uh, the Fatiha or the Qisal Surah, some of the short surahs, as we say, or I had the courtesy or something like that, we just kind of zone out and just kind of, you know, just remember Allah however we remember him. We didn't even try to understand because we couldn't understand the Arabic language. So, um... You know, I just zone out and just be thinking about Allah and thinking about, you know, good things. You think about good things. You don't think about foolishness, especially in the Hajjit. But I realized the Imam's voice started changing. Then I realized like person to the left of me, no, to the right of me, was to the right of me, he started like I could tell he's like started to sniffle, sniffle. And then like everybody starts sniffling. And I'm like, OK, what's going on? And so I try to like focus more like what's going on? And so like then everybody like starts crying around me now to this to me this is normal now that i've lived abroad and i see that certain there's certain ayats and certain surahs that touch anybody that's arable or understands arabic in any way but i didn't even know which surah. i still to this day i don't know what surah was being recited but they all started crying around me and i mean crying profusely i mean these dudes that i've known for months like upstanding men and they're crying like babies all around me so my whole point is is um I remember like it was yesterday. And I remember putting put my head down in shame and like, yo. All these guys that know me and I know them and they're all Arabs. And I never even thought about they understand something. It's a lot that I don't even I never think about. They understand what's what's being said and it's affecting them. And that day, that's why I remember it, because I said that day. okay, I got to take it up a notch. Because if all these people around me are understanding this Quran and crying, and I'm putting my head down in shame because I have no clue what's being going what's going on, I gotta take it up a notch. And that day I made a decision. I had to get the Arabic language. Now, crazily enough, we had opportunities. I grew up in those who know the Islamic Community Center, I grew up in what was called the Islamic Community Center, and I'm Islamic Community Center alumni. Um, but I never thought about the importance of getting the Arabic language and understanding the Quran enough that when I'm in Salah, I could understand it. And so at 23 years old, uh, it was 22, excuse me, I was 22 years old because I actually set out by the time I was 23 to start studying. At 22 years old, I made a decision. I have to go and get the Arabic language and I have to understand this. Um, So my point is, is that this is something that's very near and dear to me to start this. And this, what we're doing, we're going to call untranslated Islam. And the reason why it's dear to me, because for the past 20 years, by Allah's permission, I've set out and I've studied. And, and listen, I'm, I'm a normal guy, just like you guys. In order for me to go to the Arab world, I had to work eight to 12 hours a day. OK, work and teach in English. So it's not like I have much time to study every day. So it's not like I'm coming in front of you with some vast knowledge or this vast. But what I got was the ability to open up books that have never been touched in English and to start reading and understanding and benefiting things that I I feel at this stage and age in my life. I must share and give back to where I came from. So I'm saying all this and I did this whole spill, which I actually did not plan to do at all. But I just did that whole spill because that's literally the first thing that touched my heart once the microphone opened and I started talking. I did not plan to say anything I just said. But I wanted to say that we have in front of us an immense opportunity, an immense opportunity together to do a great or tremendous good. And that is to to ta'awan. To okay, you may have heard that before ta'awu you may have heard that before i'm sure you have ta'awun comes from awna or, or, or aun, which means to give aid ta'awun means to aid one another to help one another allah says, says birri wa taqwa wa la ithmi wal in the beginning of surah Ma'idah, uh, allah says and uh, aid one another in birr wa taqwa now, if either, either of these words come by themselves, it means both. But when they're separate, then albir means to do all those things that are good and righteous. And a taqwa means to shield yourself from the displeasure of Allah by staying away from those things that are bad. But of course, if you hear either word, like when we say taqillah and taqwa then it, it means it encompasses both of them. OK, so he tells us to come together in uh, uh, or assist each other in and doing things that are right and standing away from things that are wrong. And that's in all forms. This is kelim of the Quran for those who know. And as I talk, I have to remind myself because of the environment that I've been in, I have to remind myself that I'm not sure where we stand, where I'm coming from, meaning in the Western world okay cuz i've been in the arab world for a while so as i talk and i say different terms if i think about it and I say oh, this is a term i might need to explain then i'm going to explain it okay so ala wa taqwa wala al ithmi wa al udwan is what we call jawami'ul kalim okay and jawami'ul kalim is comprehensive wording and you probably have heard that before because you heard it with regards to the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet said he was given jawamil kalam. Which means that he could say one word. Adina deen nasiha. The deen is nasiha. And you can literally write books and books. Four chapters. I know uh, uh, someone who did four chapters on Adina deen nasiha. The hadith. Um, because of the comprehensive and all-encompassing words that he used to use. So my sheikh. Oh, uh, the first sheikh that i study with his name was, uh, it is allah yuhfidhuh his name is sheikh abdul azim ibn badawi al khalafi okay and he lives uh in egypt and al gharbia very well known because he was a student of sheikh al bani as a matter of fact he had a masjid with sheikh al bani in jordan he 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 graduated from Azhar. okay and then they sent him to jordan and he had his own masjid and Sheikh al-Bani would come through and give classes at his masjid. And I heard the tapes myself. Sheikh al-Bani, when he would have an idea or a, 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 a question about something that had to do with Quran and tafsir, because my Sheikh was a, a professor of tafsir, he would say, Ya yeah, Mufassir, talking to my Sheikh, Sheikh Abdullah Alim, Ya yeah, Mufassir, uh, 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 oh, the one of tafsir, uh, what, 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 what is the tafsir for this ayah, that ayah, and the Sheikh would tell him. Anyway, after 11 years, my Sheikh, Sheikh Abdullah Alim ibn Badawi, Returned to uh, to Egypt and he was from a small village called uh, called it K- sheen <laughs> It's called sheen, you know, like the letter sheen. huh? So the whole point is, is that he's from that village and um, it was a normal village. villages didn't even have when I got there, the electric didn't even work well. So we knew every day that we had to have our lamps ready so that we could study at night because we knew the electric was going off all night. And we learned from being in that village the importance of having the Quran memorized well enough because you had to stand in prayer and you didn't have light unless you had that lamp. And that lamp was, if it knocked over or anything like that, it doesn't give much light. And if it get knocked over, uh, uh, you're going to have a problem. So you learned that you had to have the Quran in order to stand up at night. Anyway, my point is, is, is that um, I learned from Sheikh Abdul Alim, Ibn Badwi, Allah blessed me to study Qur'an with him, and study uh, five different books of tafsir with him. And at the time, Allah decreed that he was doing a mukhtasr of Fatal Bari. And I'm saying this for a reason, because when I set out, I said I needed to know the Qur'an better, and I needed to understand the life of the Sahabas and understand the Hadith better. And I said, when people told me well, you need to learn Fatul Bari, uh, open Fatul Bari, read Fatul Bari, but it's difficult, I said, wow, well, I wanna to get to the point one day where I can do that. So Allah decreed, and this is why I say that Allah is on the journey with all of us, and this is something dear to me. Because Allah decreed when I got there, He was doing a Muqtasir or an abridged version of fatilbadi. Bari. So I was able to learn Tefsir with Him and listen to the classes of Fathul Bari. And of course, I had to get my Arabic up in order to understand, so I got what I could by Allah's permission. And um, and my point is is that it taught me to love and feel the Quran. So, coming around full swing, I went from standing with a bunch of Arabs and them crying over the salah or over the Quran and salah to being able to sit in a situation where I could learn the Quran and Tafsir and learn to love the Quran. So I returned back to America. And I find a bunch of people that are traveling to Medina, traveling to Mecca, traveling to different places, and they're coming back and they're so good with hadith. But when it came to Quran, that wasn't their strong point. And so I always had an idea because I would see how they were and I would see that there they're, as a result of not having Quran, it was just a level of um, the people who studied Quran first that I saw. It was a level of humbleness and a level of soft heartedness and level of love and caring and compassion um, that they had. And so when I saw the other students that studied Hadith and stuff, they kind of have a shiddah with them, a little roughness with them. And uh, (laughs) I want to tell this story, too. This is turns into a very interesting intro video, doesn't it? But I'm hoping that this helps you understand me a bit. Uh, it's one of the famous, famous uh, 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 dai's from my town or from the, the neighboring town of the, uh, next to mine. And he happened to have studied in the village that I was in before me. And he's a big, big guy. He was a big dad at the time when I came to study. So, you know, the, 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 the Sheikh they would give those stories about the different Americans that came through before me. And so one of the Sheikh, he was like, uh, yeah, how is such and so-and-so, Fulan? And I was like, whoa, you know him? It's like, yeah, he's doing very good, mashallah. He's doing well with, the, with, with uh, leading people and, and helping out with uh, things in America. So my point is, is that um, when he left the way, the students told me, they said, uh, you know why he asked that? It's like, I was like, nah, He said, because uh, he used to be his Quran teacher. He said before he got here, he went somewhere and he studied Hadith in Yemen or something like that. He Yemen. He said, then he came here and he was trying to still push the Hadith thing. But the Sheikh said, you got to learn Quran. He said, so they said, I remember one time he came and he was like, such a so to so, the region, this hasith, this, this, and that, and whatever. And the Sheikh said to him, Aren't you supposed to be learning the Quran with me? Did, did you finish? You were in, in the middle of just battle, right? Did you finish just Tabarik yet? And he was like, No, Sheikh. He was like, Well, instead of arguing with me about hadith, why don't you take that Quran and go sit in the corner and memorize your Quran? And it always stuck with me because He's a man. This sheikh this is a very humble, quiet-spoken man, and so for him to have to get like that with someone that I know to be a big daddy, it meant so much to me because it was like, yo, this Quran is something else. This Quran is something else. So coming around full swing. Now it's years later, right now, and so when this opportunity came to me, it's like, okay, this is a great opportunity to do something that I didn't see uh, being done when I was in America. And it's to teach people to love the Quran. Now, of course, a knucklehead would say, so we you to teach us to be Quraniyun? No, knucklehead. No, that's not the case. Barakallahu feekul. Because I learned from Quran how to humble ourselves. But we also learned from the Quran that the Quran is more in need of tafsir and hadith than the hadith is in need of the Quran. Meaning what? That the Prophet, wasallam, as Allah said in different ayahs in the Quran, that he was sent to explain the Qur'an. So we can't know and appreciate the Qur'an without knowing hadith. So, for example, we studied Tafsir Ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir was Shafi'i. Okay? But the people said about Ibn Kathir that he was Shafi'i Hanbali, the way he did his Tafsir. Because even though he was Shafi'i by minhaj like most of the people in, in Egypt, um, he was humbly the way he did his Tafsir because he came with riwayat, with hadith, with athar, with uh, 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 with uh, sahih hadith to prove everything so in order to learn the quran we learn tafsir we had to learn sahih hadith okay so my point was is um by learning the quran when they asked imam ahmed and you know he was the imam of hadith to the point as they said that uh when he moved or walked a certain way his students would say are you is that you doing that because it's from the sunnah and he said, "You have to tell him like, no, this I'm just this is, I'm just being normal right now because everything he did, he said there's no that not a hadith that came to me except that I tried to figure out a way to implement it in my life at least one time." So when it came to him, a man came to ask his ask him about starting his son out with, uh, with seeking knowledge, and he said, "So I asked you, Sheikh, what should I start him out with?" And he said, "Start him out with the Quran." And he's the muhaddith of the dunya. He says, "Start him out with the Quran. Why?" Because the Quran is the um, is the, is the mother of all knowledge. And everything else trickles down from that. If you start out with that, then you get your, your usloob, you get your character and your adib, your, your character and your manners and how you carry yourself. You get that right so that everything else comes in properly. Okay, But if you don't get that right, then it's like the, the, you're building a, 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 a building, right? And you decide that you're going to you have this master beautiful blueprint or whatever, but you don't check like what I just saw in the news recently. You don't check what's under that ground. So might be that it's a weak foundation might be like the dirt or sand is weak, might be like quicksand might be that you got bodies of a cemetery buried up under that ground. Like what just happened recently in the news, the whole portion of a whole city. The mall, the, the everything buried over the bodies of slaves that they said that they were going to exhume and they didn't exhume it. They just buried it, and they just left them there and just made, built a whole city over them. They're trying to figure out why things are always going interesting and strange in that area because you're disrespecting the graves of people. So the point is is, is that you build a foundation. You can have the most amazing and beautiful. You can have the Burj Khalifa, is that what it's called, I believe? Uh, you can have the Burj al Khalifa. Uh, Burj is like, you know, they use it for a big building or whatever. But, you know, what Sama'i that al-Buruj, is like something magnificent and great and big. So the whole point is, is that you can have the Burj al- Khalifa and you can build it. And it's going to come tumbling down if the foundation is, isn't right. And so the Qur'an gives you a that it gave him a miracle that was according to what was going on during that time. So, for example, with the situation with Moses or Musa, al-ayhi salam, and Harun, he gave Musa the miracle of what? Of the staff that was able to move and putting his hand in and bringing it out and this like this. Why? Because at the time, magicians, magic was the biggest thing. And so we had to give him a miracle that even the top magicians that was it was Firaun. And then under him, the magicians kept things in order. Firaun had man. That was the second in command. And then the magicians were the thing was the ones that kept everything in order and frightened the people to stay in order. So he had to give him something. That made even those magicians fall down in prostration and say, bi rabbil alameen, wa with Isa. Isa he gave that he could cure the blind and he could cure the leper and he could uh, bring the dead back to life. Why did he give that? Because during that time, medicine was the big thing. And so for him to be able to do things that medicine wasn't able to do and tell them that this is from my Lord, then it was to bring people together. With the Quran, it's the greatest miracle that was ever given, because it constantly renews itself. Number one, Allah says, uh, انزلنا, uh, إنا نزلنا, إنا نزلنا, yes He says. That verily we are the ones who sent down this to Talking about the Quran. And we are the ones that's going to preserve it. And look at how beautifully he preserves it. He doesn't preserve it by being on pages. He preserves it because it's in the chests of millions of people. Every generation. Every generation. Millions of people have it in their chest memorized. Okay. In their hearts. And that's how he preserves it. Because people can change the pages every day. If you guys remember about 15 years ago. Some People came up with something that was supposed to have been some new Qur'an. I, I, I think y'all remember. He always going to disgrace somebody to even try to act like they're coming up. Like Muslim al kadhab He's known as Kathab for the rest of his life because he's trying to come up with something and call it Qur'an. So the point is, is, is that he preserves the Qur'an. Okay? He preserves the Qur'an for us to live by. And then it, it constantly renews itself. So you're never bored of the Qur'an if you ta'allaq qalba bil Qur'an. If you connect your heart to the Quran, as Ibn al Qayyim said. And so the point is, is that it's the gift that keeps giving. And it's a sad thing to know. or uh, It's a sad thing when we don't have the ability to appreciate that gift. So I'm saying all of this to say. This is a very dear endeavor because we're going to talk about many different things. It's called untranslated Islam for a reason. We're going to talk about many different things, but I made uh, 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 I uh, had azam made firm will that I wanted to do something with my life and I think that I'm going to start it during this endeavor and that is to go through every ayah of the Quran every ayah and I'm going to explain why in, in another um, setting maybe I'll explain it now explain it now alright so Ibn al-Qayyim, and I'll give you all of the proofs and everything at another time. But Ibn al-Qayyim said, one of his statements that that stood out to me. He said that, um, verily, every single ayah in the Quran is a proof of tawhid. And I'm going to give you the way he said it. He said it, one of five ways. I'll give you all of that. But when I heard this statement, and so he was going and explaining the Fatiha. I believe it was in the Medadij al-Salikin. Because that's the the one where he talks about everything comes back to And 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 so he went on to explain the Tawheed and every ayat of, of the Fatiha And he said every single ayat of the Quran returns to Tawheed So I thought about if it returns to the Tawheed Then people hear Tawheed and they think of something scary When I think of Tawheed I think of something different So I need you to listen to me A Tawheed, the most important Tawheed is Tawheed al-Ibadah and the Ibadah, the foundations of it are three Al Mahabbah, Al Al-Khawf, and Al Raja. All the things that shake the heart and soften the heart. Okay? So this is love, fear, and hope. All right? And as Ibn Taymiyyah said, and Ibn Qayyim said, and they said that that's why he put it in Al Fatiha. Al Mahabbah is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And we're going to go through all this at another time. Okay? But Alhamd, you can't be Alhamd without having love there. And then Al-Raja is Al-Rahman, the Raheem, hope, which is the right wing. So they say that Al-Mahabba is like the head of a bird, us, of us, like we're flying through this dunya properly. Al-Raja is like the wing, the right wing of the bird. And al is like the left wing of the bird, which is Maliki Omuddin. That we have to return back to him, or the, the, he's the master of their judgment when we have to return the answer. Okay? So he says, the foundations, المحبة, love, الرجاء, uh, hope, and الخوف, fear, Allah puts them that we have to recite them 70 times a day, 17 times a day. And then he says, he gives you the three foundations that lead straight into ibadah. Ibadah is tawheed. So if tawheed is found in every single ayat of the Quran, then I've concluded, and I'm a mathematician, I've concluded that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. And I'm going to set out to prove that. And I would love to use this platform to do that, which is, if that's the case, then that means there's not a single ayat in the Quran, except that it should shake your heart, warm your heart, give you, you know, happiness, because it should either be something of love Something of fear, something of hope in every single ayah of the Qur'an or all of them combined. So I want to use this platform to set out on that journey. And I'm I've been trying to wrangle with myself back and forth. Should I set out by going straight through the Qur'an from Baqarah down? But I don't think I'll do that. I think I'll choose different ayats because I want to teach or share with you guys that it doesn't matter. What you have of the Quran, if you have something of the Quran, you have a great gift. It's like you have this jewel. It's like you have this diamond, and it's still in dirt, and you don't know it. But people who know what that is, they're like, "Yo, why don't he knock the dirt off of that joint and shine that joint up?" You know what I'm saying? So it, what is it, Yunmu? Is that what it is, Yunmu? So it shines, huh? Is it Yunmu? Yelma. Yeah, Yelma. Yeah. Like I said, I'm a normal guy, just like you. I'm thinking Yunbo, Yunbo. And I'm saying, no, yun that's the word for for um when you when you're remembering uh uh they use that word when you're doing uh tajweed to remember going be going That's it, yeah. <laughs> why don't you knock the dirt off of that and make that joint shine? I'm telling every one of you. Before this is over, by Allah's permission, I'm gonna have you, by Allah's permission, doing what someone, what I was taught, we should be able to cry just from Al-Fatiha, and every one of you have Al-Fatiha, and by any short surah of the Quran, you have the gift, I've watched people over and over, my own wives, I've watched my mother, I've watched people make more better closeness than me in salah stand longer cry more put me to shame that's what made me had to start digging in the crates and they have way less quran than probably any most of you but connecting their hearts being able to pay attention we're going to go through all of this we're going to go through a tibian Fi, adab hamilatul quran from imam Al-Nawawi and the points of benefit from that uh, we're going to go through all these different things and give you little pointers of how the sahabas cried in salah how they felt love how they felt the fear that keep them right the love the hope uh, the hope that keep them moving the love from Allah that made them do as they said because what or love is what makes you do things not as a burden if you love somebody, and this is what the, all the scholars say about al-mahabbah, they said, if you love somebody, is it difficult to do things for them? It's, it's not difficult. If you have a wife or a mother, a father that you love, and they say, can you do such songs for me? You rush it like, yeah, sure I can. It's not even like, and 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 if you love them, and you have ta'wilim also, which means you reverence them, uh, are you going to do anything? That would be displeasing to them. Anything that they might be able to find out is wrong. And. (laughs) I'm the full brother. Blood brother of. Of Jamil. And so I'm laughing because people who know him know. him. And. uh, He's the most soft hearted dude. But he had a period of time where. He went through some rough times. From the age of 15 up. Because he left the house at 15. And my point is he will come around my mom. And I know what he was doing out there. He would come around with his big dimple face, big dimples face smiling. And my mother never knew what he was doing out there because he had love for my mom and he had reverence for my mom. And he would go, up, my mom would be like, how hey, everything, baby, everything all right? And he, yeah, yeah, oom, um, everything good. And he'd go and hug her. And as he hugging her, he looking at me behind him. I'm looking at him like, dude, you know you, you know you. And he he, he, he had his laugh. I, I ended up inheriting it from him. I guess it's my father's laugh. He, 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 yeah, oom, um, everything good, yeah. And as he hugging her, he got a long gun in his <laughs> In his in his pants going down his right leg. I already know because I know he carries guns. He got a gun in his back. He got people, Jamaicans, looking for him on the street. <laughs> they coming to me when I'm coming home from school like, Where's your brother? We're koof. We're going to kill him when we see him. And I'm like, yo. And people are like, yo, leave him alone, man. That's little koof. He, he ain't nobody. He's he just coming from school. You tell your brother I'm going to kill him when I see him. And then he comes around to the house and my mom, everything like, yeah, yeah, everything good, mom, everything good, he hugging her. I'm like, yo, this dude, man, why? Because he had love for my mother and he had reverence for my mother. So my mother never felt out until, if my mother see this video, how much stuff that he was in at the time because he was trying to survive and live. So my point of all of that is, is that that feeling that you feel when you tell a story like that, do you know how many stories are in the Quran? Do you know the kisses in the Quran that'll make you feel like that? We have to go through all that. We'll just talk about muhabba. Alhamdulillah, alameen. Think about the love that you have for Allah. The reverence you're supposed to have for Allah. And then, as the Prophet, sallam, said about the Quran, he said that when you, when you recite the Quran, that you should cry. And if you don't cry, then make yourself cry. And making yourself cry don't mean, oh, I'm not crying. Let me stick my finger in my eye and make it shed tears. Nah, it ain't like that. The early man explained that hadith saying that if you don't cry when you hear the Quran, after you know the hadith, then it's enough of, that you notice hadith and that you don't cry, that it should make you feel sad and shed tears because you know that you're missing something that you need. My point is, that's what I want to try to share with you. I want to share with you that if you stop and if you think about the Quran, you don't rush through it. we're going to go for all the proofs that you can do this. If you stop and recite Alhamdulillahi and think about it and say it again and think about it this is when you're alone, home alone. So you have to do this in your own salah, not at the masjid and you contemplate and you think about it. It'll touch your heart. The Fatiha will touch your heart in a way that you can't imagine. Is that uh, so? That's fine. OK, it's good okay all right so i'm sorry it was a, a sound and i didn't know it'll distract the, the video so my point is of all of this is um <clears throat> is that islam is something that's supposed to bring softness to your heart it's not something that's supposed to just be things that's done and i'm you know what i just reminded myself shall I, i'm to translate to you guys it's the sheikh al-asimi uh he gives these conferences across the Arab world, these beautiful conferences. He's a Sheikh in his own right, but he invites different shiuch and they give these conferences across the world, uh, across the Arab world. And he uh, offers books also. And he did a book or he might've did it as a class and then they transcribed it. And no, it was, I think he did it as a book because the way that he worded this muqaddimah or this preface to the book, it couldn't have been something off the top of his head, but it may have been. But anyway, he went he was uh doing a book and the book is called uh hadi al uh, uh Hadil arwah uh, uh, uh the, the uh, traveling or the, the how would you say uh um, accompanying one soul uh accompanying the souls of uh, one of the souls on his journey to uh the hereafter and it's a beautiful book by Ibn Okayyam and he talks about the stages that you go through from sickness to death and then what happens in the grave and what's going to happen, Kiyama, until you get to, to the person that's the, the righteous, until he gets to Jannah. So he opens the book and he says, I want to do this book. And I want to preface this book. I want to do this book because how important it is and I want to preface it with something. He said, because I've seen that the students nowadays that they don't realize that they're so busy studying, studying and trying to get just the rules and regulations together and all these different judgments and all that, that their hearts have become hard. And he said, the idea of a heart becoming hard can be on this going by going too far to the left, going too far to the right. And when he said that, I remember Ibn al-Qayyim always talks about ifrat wa ifrat ifrah, ifrah, he always talks about you don't go overboard this way or overboard that way. And he always talks about how shaitan doesn't care. He wants to get you either too far to the right or too far to the left. And he doesn't care which one, as long as you're not in the straight middle. And so this shaykh al-Aslimi, when he was giving the preface to this book, uh, Hadi al-Arwah from Ibn al-Qayyim, he said, it's important for me to do this book with the students. He said, because of the fact that they don't realize that their hearts have gotten so hard by trying to keep all of this in their head and keep that in their head and this goes before this and this that they lost the reason why they get knowledge. He said, so they'll look down at a book like this, even though it's from Ibn al Qayyim, talking about the road from sickness to death to the hereafter, to Jannah, a paradise, and they'll look down at this because they'll say, well, this is not what we're trying to study. We need to study rules and regulations and this and that. He said, but this is what kept... The people of the past balanced, because when they did what they did, when they did what they did. Excuse me, I don't know how to turn the sound down on this. Uh, Yeah, Uh, power off. Okay, sorry about that, guys. All right, but so we said the people of the past they didn't have to go through all these different and go through or oh, have to learn this Tajweed a certain way because they, they had natural Arabic. I have to learn these and learn these rules and regulations. They didn't do that. So when they set out to get some knowledge, it was to touch their heart and soften their heart more. He said, but I find that these, these later generations, they're like they're in school. You know how you stress for an exam and so I'm Trying to make sure I learn this and learn this with this and this and this. And, this. and then their hearts he said is, a, I think he said kasawa or Qasawa, kasawa. It's like a hardness that comes to their heart. that's similar to the hardness that comes to the heart of the person is doing wrong because the heart is covered over with all this and they never get the softness of what all of this is intended for. So it goes back to what I'm saying again. I think I want to translate that preface and, and share that with you guys. But um, it goes back again to what I'm saying. and And you'll find that most things with me, you're going to find that they kind of go back to that. That that's what my goal is. <laughs> I took um <laughs> I took um I think it's like a survey or a test or something that my wife got me to take that talk that that that's supposed to identify your personality. <laughs> and I think it's like four types of personalities. Those who know this thing they, they know this. Uh she's a life coach and so she she del- delves into psychology and things like that. And so she has her clients uh take this test so they can know the type of person that they are, the temperament that they have or whatever. And so she messed with me. I ain't taking that test. Like, I already know I ain't wanna know the answer. And Cause I already saw hers and she's like a genius. She's like an introverted genius or something like that. Um, but uh I'm like, I ain't gonna mess with that. So she convinced me to take it and and you know, it's a running a running theme, you know, amongst amongst my family that you know. Kind of like flower children or whatever, <laughs> but it's funny because we were raised so military because we came. Me and my brothers came up during the time, right? You know, during right after the um, Vietnam War. So all of our fathers and uncles and everybody had been to Vietnam at 18 years old, 18, 19 years old, killing. So they came back soldiers, and so they raised us as soldiers. So it was a funny, you know, mix that uh, I didn't even know that I had that that I didn't even know that I was a quote unquote flower child because I was always military military and then it called you know surviving in America the streets in the eighties crack academics and guns and all that you can't be no softy guy, you know, so all I knew was my military side, I knew my nurture and didn't really know my nature, okay, so all I knew was my military side military military, and so it's a running theme as I got older that my wife was like, nah, you know, you got that hard shell or I mean that hard I wish we call it, but you, you you like a flower child and so, so I knew that that was her goal but I took the 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 test or the survey or whatever you call it and sure enough it came out that I was some flower child and when it came up with the <laughs> it came up with the results and this picture of this this person all flowery with with uh <laughs> with flowers wrapped around them and like looking like this running through it and then I didn't even read what it said so based on your temperament you said I said I ain't it she said you should read it to better understand yourself I so I ain't reading that man but my point is, is is that i've learned after that and watching my children that you're going to find for me the reason why i, I realized now why i was in social services and in social work and always doing something like that mediation i was a, a um a, um i used to work at a uh, at a juvenile uh an intensive juvenile uh delinquent center helping out those kids and then went through the whole situation of being a mediator court refer for court refer cases and then a social worker community organizer like all of that stuff falls in line. Didn't as a teacher, even as a teacher, I didn't enjoy teaching high school as much as I enjoy teaching the younger students. So my point is, is that everyone has to know their self and know the gifts that Allah gave them and realize that they're gifts. Um, um And I've come to deal with the fact that you're gonna probably get a lot out of me that are things that have to do with softening your heart. And so that's what it is. Now, Islam is balanced. And like I said, I've lived that military side, lived it the majority of my life. So you might get some of that out of me. But at this stage of life, I've realized that people have become so hard and so harsh. And especially when it comes to religion and things like that, they haven't appreciated the beauty of the heart softening of this religion. Um, And and the balance that comes. And of course, even with all of that, you know, in certain situations, we got to get down, we got to get down. So you got to have both sides. But my point with you is that on this journey, untranslated um, Islam, we're going to be dealing with a lot of things that soften the heart. A lot of things that get in touch with your soul. Things that I would like to call Quranic soul therapy. That's I just coined that. That just, yeah, Quranic soul therapy. Let's write that down. We're going to make sure we uh, copyright that. So by Allah's permission, this is what we're going to do. So anyway. All right. So my idea of this is that we're going to do this together. And, and just like when I used to give quote I have something prepared and I did something totally different than that. And my computer just shut off and won't open. <laughs> but I think that what we talked about, uh, how long are we in now? We did 20 minutes yet? Okay. All right. So I think that what we talked about, I think is good for an intro, but I still want to cover just a few of the things that I wanted to say. I'll just, I'll do it I'll do it abridged, abridged version So the whole point is that I want to And I also want to, as Allah said, I turned it off, how is it doing that? See, these smartphones are not so smart, it came back on How? And was it me that is not smart? I swear I hit power off Alright <laughs> Um 40 get out of here all right we're closing out yo <laughs> yo my producer he the um um we had agreed to 20 minutes but he always says he says you don't realize when you start talking you long-winded and i i, I didn't realize until right this second i thought it was like 15 minutes in all right so we stopping okay um We'll do a part two and uh talk about some of the things we want to do and we'll just start straight in in the next thing. We'll I'll introduce it in the first five or ten minutes with the things I want to say and then start straight in so that we'll know what we're doing, inshallah. So anyway, um I hope that you'll join us on this journey. And in closing, I want this to be interactive. So I need you to get in touch with us, okay, and we'll put up on the screen how to get in touch with us, what us the different avenues. And I need you to share with us the things that you would like to talk about. I need you to share with us the things that are dear and near to your heart, the place that you're at in life. And what advices that you might need for yourself, for your spouse, for your children. Because like I said, separate from this, before I did this, I had a whole life. Allah says about the Prophet فَقَدْ لَبِثْتُمْ فَقَدْ لبث, uh, uh, لَبِثْتَ فيهم. He said to say to them, I lived with you a whole life before I got the message. So don't y'all understand like y'all know who I am. My point is, is that I didn't understand that until I got older. You live whole lives sometime. I lived a whole life in community service as a social worker before I set out on this path. And then a whole life as a teacher. And so... Is different little facets that I'll share with you guys at different times. But my point is, is that so chime in, get in touch with us, let us know the things you want to talk about, things you might have you need advice on, or like this. And I'm just in the and a mithlukum. If Allah said for the prophet to say that to the people, I'm no better. He said to say to them, <clears throat> that's a whole nother one. Remind me to talk about where I learned that ayah from because it was a humbling experience. I learned that ayah. I was at a masjid in Washington, D.C. when I first started studying. And I thought I had knew something. And this imam, Sheikh, uh, uh, Sheikh Muhammad and his sidekick was Sheikh Abdullah. Sheikh Abdullah used to be a pimp. And then Sheikh Abdullah became Muslim. And he still had some ways about him. He was the nicest, sweetest dude. And Sheikh Abdullah's mother would come. He was 60, maybe six. He had to be 60 something years old at the time because his mother was in his 80s, in her 80s. And he would be rough with us all on his pimp joint. But when his mother came, his mom, mother was half this height. And his mother, he'd come and say, Abdullah. Because his mother was Muslim too. His mother became Muslim through him. And he'd come, Yes, mama. Yes, mama. And I I, I would look at like that. Big hard man, but when his mom came, how soft he was. Anyway, him and his imam, they taught me that ayat. And when they were recite it, I I was like, they ain't reciting crying. I don't know what they were reciting. I had no clue what they was talking about. And then one time he set me in his car, and I had to ask him. I said, well, what is that that you be saying? Cause I was thinking in my head, I don't know what they were reciting, but they ain't crying. And he said, oh, you you, you don't know that? You, you're studying, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, but I don't know what that ayat is. Cause I just started studying. And he turned to the last ayat of Surah Taubah. And that's why I learned that ayah from it. To this day, I recited the way he recited with the same rhythm, just with better tajweed, because he didn't have much tajweed. He was an a older imam from Washington, D.C. But to this day, I said, I recite that the same rhythm he recited it to this day to make sure he gets reward every time that I recite that. And anyway, it starts off with, Kul ana He says, Verily say to them, Ya Muhammad, I'm a man just like you. And that's all I'm saying to you. You thought he was going to get the full ayat out of me. <laughs> Those who know how he used to recite it, y'all know. But I start crying if I start reciting that right here. Um, but every time, and I recite sort of the Kef at least every Friday into Hajit. And every time I get to that ayat, I, I feel exactly the same. I'm a man just like y'all. I'm just a normal dude. So send your requests. But if I can't answer anything, I can't answer them. I'll try to research. I'll try to get in touch with the Meshach. And I'll do what I can. But uh, my point is just to be sincere and give advice And for us to work together To try to, during the times when we sit together Do something that's pleasing to Allah Something that'll get us some blessing Alright So I'm signing out for now Until next time This is your brother Ben Yusuf And uh, let's work together to do something good Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh فمن الذي يدعو ويرجو الان